Prologue, Part One of Lord Tony's Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lord Tony's Wife by Imuska or Z. Prologue, Part One. Nente. 1789 1. Tyrant, tyrant, tyrant. It was Pierre who spoke, his voice was hardly raised above a murmur, but there was such an intensity of passion expressed in his face, in the fingers of his hand which closed slowly and convulsively as if they were clutching the throat of a struggling viper, there was so much hate in those muttered words so much power such compelling and awesome determination that an ominous silence fell upon the village lads and the men who sat with him in the low narrow room of the auberge des trois vertus even the man in the tattered coat and threadbare breeches who perched upon the centre table had been haranguing the company on the subject of the rights of man paused in his peroration and looked down on pierre half afraid of that fierce flame of passionate hate which his own words had helped to kindle the silence however had only lasted a few moments the next pierre was on his feet and a cry like that of a bull in a slaughter-house escaped his throat in the name of god he shouted let us cease all that senseless talking haven't we planned enough and talked enough to satisfy our pooling consciences the time has come to strike mais ami to strike i say to strike at those cursed aristocrats who have made us what we are ignorant wretched downtrodden senseless clods to work our fingers to the bone our bodies till they break so that they may wallow in their pleasures and their luxuries strike i say he reiterated while his eyes glowed and his breath came and went through his throat with a hissing sound strike as the men and women struck in paris on that great day in july to them the bastille stood for tyranny and they struck at it as they would at the head of a tyrant and the tyrant cowered cringed made terms he was frightened at the wrath of the people that is what happened in paris that is what must happen in nantes the chateau of the duc de kernogan is our bastille let us strike at it to-night and if the arrogant aristocrat resists we'll raise his house to the ground the hour the day the darkness are all propitious the arrangements hold good the neighbors are ready strike i say he brought his hard fist crashing down upon the table, so that mugs and bottles rattled. His enthusiasm had fired all his hearers. His hatred and his lust of revenge had done more in five minutes than all the tirades of the agitators sent down from Paris to instill revolutionary ideas into the slow-moving brains of village lads. "'Who will give the signal?' queried one of the older men quietly i will came a lusty response from pierre he strode to the door and all the men jumped to their feet 
ready to follow him dragged into this hot-headed venture by the mere force of one man's towering passion they followed pierre like sheep sheep that have momentarily become intoxicated sheep that have become fierce a strange sight truly and yet one that the man in the tattered coat who had done so much speechifying lately watched with eager interest and presently related with great wealth of detail to monsieur de mirabeau the champion of the people it all came about through the death of a pair of pigeons he said the death of the pigeons however was only the spark which set all these turbulent passions ablaze they had been smouldering for half a century and had been ready to burst into flames for the past decade antoine melon the wheelwright who was to have married louise pierre's sister had trapped a pair of pigeons in the woods of monsieur le duc de kernogan he had done it to assert his rights as a man he did not want the pigeons though he was a poor man he was no poorer than hundreds of peasants for miles around but he paid imposts and taxes until every particle of profit which he gleaned from his miserable little plot of land went into the hands of the collectors whilst monsieur le duc de kernogan paid not one sou towards the cost of the state and he had to live on what was left of his own rye and wheat after monsieur le duc's pigeons had had their fill of them antoine melun did not want to eat the pigeons which he had trapped but he desired to let monsieur le duc de kernogan know that god and nature had never intended all the beasts and birds of the woods to be the exclusive property of one man rather than another so he trapped and killed two pigeons and monsieur le duc's head bailiff caught him in the act of carrying those pigeons home whereupon antoine was arrested for poaching and thieving he was tried at nantes under the presidency of monsieur le duc de kernogan and ten minutes ago while the man in the tattered coat was declaiming to a number of peasant lads in the coffee-room of the auberge des trois vertus on the subject of their rights as men and citizens some one brought the news that antoine melun had just been condemned to death and would be hanged on the morrow that was the spark which had fanned pierre adet's hatred of the aristocrats to a veritable conflagration the news of antoine melun's fate was the bleat which rallied all those human sheep around their leader for pierre had naturally become their leader because his hatred of monsieur le duc was more tangible more powerful than theirs pierre had had more education than they his father jean adet the miller had sent him to a school in nantes and when pierre came home monsieur le cure of vertu took an interest in him and taught him all he knew himself which was not much in the way of philosophy and the classics but later on pierre took to reading the writings of monsieur jean jacques rousseau and soon knew the contrat social almost by heart he had also read the articles in monsieur marat's newspaper l'ami du people and like antoine melun the wheelwright he had got it into his head that it was not god nor yet nature who had intended one man to starve while another gorged himself on all the good things of this world he did not however 
speak of these matters either to his father or to his sister or to monsieur le curé but he brooded over them and when the price of bread rose to four sous he muttered curses against monsieur le duc de kernogan and when famine prices ruled throughout the district those curses became overt threats and by the time that the pinch of hunger was felt in vertu pierre's passion of fury against the duc de kernogan had turned to a frenzy of hate against the entire noblesse of france still he said nothing to his father nothing to his mother and sister but his father knew old jean would watch the storm-clouds which gathered on pierre's lowering brow he heard the muttered curses which escaped from pierre's lips whilst he worked for the liege lord whom he hated but jean was a wise man and knew how useless it is to put out a feeble hand in order to stem the onrush of a torrent he knew how useless are the words of wisdom from an old man to quell the rebellious spirit of the young jean was on the watch and evening after evening when the work on the farm was done pierre would sit in the small low room of the auberge with other lads from the village talking talking of their wrongs of the arrogance of the aristocrats the sins of monsieur le duc and his family the evil conduct of the king and the immorality of the queen and men in ragged coats and tattered breeches came in from nantes and even from paris in order to harangue these village lads and told them yet further tales of innumerable wrongs suffered by the people at the hands of the aristos and stuffed their heads full of schemes for getting even once and for all with those men and women who fattened on the sweat of the poor and drew their luxury from the hunger and the toil of the peasantry pierre sucked in these harangues through every pore they were meat and drink to him his hate and passions fed upon these effusions till his whole being was consumed by a maddening desire for reprisals for vengeance for the lust of triumph over those whom he had been taught to fear and in the low narrow room of the auberge the fevered heads of village lads were bent together in conclave and the ravings and shoutings of a while ago were changed to whisperings and low murmurings behind barred doors and shuttered windows men exchanged cryptic greetings when they met in the village street enigmatical signs passed between them while they worked strangers came and went at the dead of night to and from the neighboring villages monsieur le duc's overseers saw nothing heard nothing guessed nothing monsieur le cure saw much and old jean adet guessed a great deal but they said nothing for nothing then would have availed then came the catastrophe two pierre pushed open the outer door of the auberge des trois vertus and stepped out under the porch a gust of wind caught him in the face the night so the chronicles of the time tell us was dark as pitch on ahead lay the lights of the city flickering in the gale to the left the wide tawny ribbon of the river wound its turbulent course toward the ocean the booming of the waters swollen by the recent melting of the snow sounded like the weird echoes of invisible cannons far away without hesitation pierre advanced 
his little troop followed him in silence they were a little sobered now that they came out into the open and that the fumes of cider and of the hot perspiring humanity no longer obscured their vision or inflamed their brain they knew whither pierre was going it had all been prearranged throughout this past summer in the musty parlour of the auberge behind barred doors and shuttered windows all they had to do was to follow pierre whom they had tacitly chosen as their leader they walked on behind him their hands buried in the pockets of their thin tattered breeches their heads bent forward against the fury of the gale pierre made straight for the mill his home where his father lived and where louise was even now crying her eyes out because antoine melun her sweetheart had been condemned to be hanged for killing two pigeons at the back of the mill was the dwelling-house and beyond it a small farmery for jean adet owned a little bit of land and would have been fairly well off if the taxes had not swallowed up all the money that he made out of the sale of his rye and his hay just here the ground rose sharply to a little hillock which dominated the flat valley of the loire and commanded a fine view over the more distant villages pierre skirted the mill and without looking round to see if the others followed him he struck squarely to the right up a narrow lane bordered by tall poplars and which led upwards to the summit of the little hillock around which clustered the tumbled-down barns of his father's farmery the gale lashed the straight tall stems of the poplars until they bent nearly double and each tiny bare twig sighed and whispered as if in pain pierre strode on and the others followed in silence they were chilled to the bone under their scanty clothes but they followed on with grim determination set teeth and anger and hate seething in their hearts the top of the rising ground was reached it was pitch dark and the men when they halted fell up against one another trying to get a foothold on the sodden ground but pierre seemed to have eyes like a cat he only paused one moment to get his bearings then still without a word he set to work a large barn and a group of small circular straw ricks loomed like solid masses out of the darkness black silhouetted against the black of the stormy sky pierre turned toward the barn those of his comrades who were in the forefront of the small crowd saw him disappearing inside one of the solid shadowy masses that looked so ghost-like in the night anon those who watched and who happened to be facing the interior of the barn saw sparks from a tinder flying in every direction the next moment they could see pierre himself quite clearly he was standing in the middle of the barn and intent on lighting a roughly fashioned torch with his tinder soon the resin caught a spark and pierre held the torch inclined toward the ground so that the flames could lick their way up the shaft the flickering light cast a weird glow and deep grotesque shadows upon the face and figure of the young man his hair lanky and dishevelled fell over his eyes his mouth and jaw illumined from below by the torch looked unnaturally large and showed his teeth gleaming white 
like the fangs of a beast of prey his shirt was torn open at the neck and the sleeves of his coat were rolled up to the elbow he seemed not to feel either the cold from without or the scorching heat of the flaming torch in his hand but he worked deliberately and calmly without haste or febrile movements grim determination held his excitement in check at last his work was done the men who had pressed forward in order to watch him fell back as he advanced torch in hand they knew exactly what he was going to do they had thought it all out planned it spoken of it till even their unimaginative minds had visualized this coming scene with absolutely realistic perception and yet now that the supreme hour had come now that they saw pierre torch in hand prepared to give the signal which would set ablaze the seething revolt of the countryside their heart seemed to stop its beating within their body they held their breath their toil-worn hands went up to their throats as if to repress that awful choking sensation which was so like fear but pierre had no hesitations if his breath seemed to choke him as it reached his throat if it escaped through his set teeth with a strange whistling sound it was because his excitement was that of a hungry beast who had sighted his prey and is ready to spring and devour his hand did not shake his step was firm the gusts of wind caught the flame of his torch till the sparks flew in every direction and scorched his hair and hands and while the others recoiled he strode on to the straw rick that was nearest for one moment he held the torch aloft there was triumph now in his eyes in his whole attitude he looked out into the darkness far away which seemed all the more impenetrable beyond the restricted circle of flickering torchlight it seemed as if he would wrest from that inky blackness all the secrets which it hid all the enthusiasm the excitement the passions the hatred which he would have liked to set ablaze as he would the straw ricks anon are you ready mayami he called ay ay they replied not gaily not lustily but calmly and under their breath one touch of the torch and the dry straw began to crackle a gust of wind caught the flame and whipped it into energy it crept up the side of the little rick like a glowing python that wraps its prey in its embrace another gust of wind and the flame leapt joyously up to the pinnacle of the rick and sent forth other tongues to lick and to lick to enfold the straw to devour to consume but pierre did not wait to see the consummation of his work of destruction already with a few rapid strides he had reached his father's second straw rick and this too he set alight and then another and another until six blazing furnaces sent their lurid tongues of flames twisting and twirling writhing and hissing through the stormy night within the space of two minutes the whole summit of the hillock seemed to be ablaze and pierre like a god of fire torch in hand seemed to preside over and command a multitude of ever-spreading flames to his will excitement had overmastered him now the lust to destroy was upon him 
and excitement had seized all the others too there was shouting and cursing and laughter that sounded mirthless and forced and calls to pierre and oaths of revenge memory like an evil-intentioned witch was riding invisibly in the darkness and she touched each seething brain with her fever-giving wand every man had an outrage to remember an injustice to recall and strong brown fists were shaken aloft in the direction of the chateau de kernogan whose lights glimmered feebly in the distance beyond the loire death to the tyrant a la laterne les aristos the people's hour has come at last no more starvation no more injustice equality liberty a mort les aristos the shouts the curses the crackling flames the howling of the wind the soughing of the trees made up a confusion of sounds which seemed hardly of this earth the blazing ricks the flickering red light of the flames had finally transformed the little hillock behind the mill into another brocken on whose summit witches and devils do of a truth hold their revels a moi shouted pierre again and he threw his torch down upon the ground and once more made for the barn the others followed him in the barn were such weapons as these wretched penniless peasants had managed to collect scythes poles axes saws anything that would prove useful for the destruction of the chateau de kernogan and the proposed browbeating of monsieur le duc and his family all the men trooped in in the wake of pierre the entire hillock was now a blaze of light lurid and red and flickering alternately teased and fanned and subdued by the gale so that at times every object stood out clearly cut every blade of grass every stone in bold relief and in the ruts and fissures every tiny pool of muddy water shimmered like strings of fire opals whilst at others a pall of inky darkness smoke-laden and impenetrable would lie over the ground and erase the outline of farm buildings and distant mill and of the pushing and struggling mass of humanity inside the barn but pierre heedless of light and darkness of heat or of cold proceeded quietly and methodically to distribute the primitive implements of warfare to this crowd of ignorant men who were by now over ready for mischief and with every weapon which he placed in willing hands he found the right words for willing ears words which would kindle passion and lust of vengeance most readily where they lay dormant or would fan them into greater vigour where they smouldered for thee this scythe hector lebrun he would say to a tall lanky youth whose emaciated arms and bony hands were stretched with longing toward the bright piece of steel remember last year's harvest the heavy tax thou wert forced to pay so that not one sou of profit went into thy pocket and thy mother starved whilst monsieur le duc and his brood feasted and danced and shiploads of corn were sunk in the loire lest abundance made bread too cheap for the poor for thee this pickaxe henry meunier remember the new roof on thy hut which thou didst build to keep the wet off thy wife's bed who was crippled with ague 
and the heavy impost levied on thee by the tax-collector for this improvement to thy miserable hovel this pole for thee charles blanc remember the beating administered to thee by the duke's bailiff for daring to keep a tame rabbit to amuse thy children remember remember mes amis he added exultantly remember every wrong you have endured every injustice every blow remember your poverty and his wealth your crusts of dry bread and his succulent meals your rags and his silks and velvets remember your starving children and ailing mother your care-laden wife and toil-worn daughters forget nothing mes amis to-night and at the gates of the chateau de kernogan demand of its arrogant owner wrong for wrong and outrage for outrage a deafening cry of triumph greeted this peroration scythes and sickles and axes and poles were brandished in the air and several scores of hands were stretched out to pierre and clasped in this newly formed bond of vengeful fraternity three then it was that with vigorous play of elbows jean adet the miller forced his way through the crowd till he stood face to face with his son unfortunate he cried what is all this what dost thou propose to do whither are ye all going to kernogan they all shouted in response en avant pierre we follow cried some of them impatiently but jean adet who was a powerful man despite his years had seized pierre by the arm and dragged him to a distant corner of the barn pierre he said in tones of command i forbid thee in the name of thy duty and the obedience which thou dost owe to me and to thy mother to move another step in this hot-headed adventure i was on the high road walking homewards when that conflagration and the senseless cries of these poor lads warned me that some awful mischief was afoot pierre my son i command thee to lay that weapon down but pierre who in his normal state was a dutiful son and sincerely fond of his father shook himself free from jean adet's grasp father he said loudly and firmly this is no time for interference we are all of us men here and know our own minds what we mean to do to-night we have thought on and planned for weeks and months i pray you father let me be i am not a child and i have work to do not a child exclaimed the old man as he turned appealingly to the lads who had stood by silent and sullen during this little scene not a child but you are all only children my lads you don't know what you are doing you don't know what terrible consequences this mad escapade will bring upon us all upon the whole village ay and the countryside do you suppose for one moment that the chateau of kernogan will fall at the mercy of a few ignorant unarmed lads like yourselves why four hundred of you could not succeed in forcing your way even as far as the courtyard of the palace monsieur le duc has had wind for some time of your turbulent meetings at the auberge he has kept an armed guard inside his castle yard for weeks past 
a company of artillery with two guns hoisted upon his walls my poor lads you are running straight to ruin go home i beg of you forget this night's escapade nothing but misery to you and yours can result from it they listened quietly if surlily to jean adet's impassioned words far be it from their thoughts to flout or to mock him paternal authority commanded respect even among the most rough but they all felt that they had gone too far now to draw back the savour of anticipated revenge had been too sweet to be foregone quite so readily and pierre with his vigorous personality his glowing eloquence his compelling power had more influence over them than the sober counsels of prudence and the wise admonitions of old jean adet not one word was spoken but with an instinctive gesture every man grasped his weapon more firmly and then turned to pierre thus electing him their spokesman pierre too had listened in silence to all that his father said striving to hide the burning anxiety which was gnawing at his heart lest his comrades allow themselves to be persuaded by the old man's counsels and their ardour be cooled by the wise dictates of prudence but when jean adet had finished speaking and pierre saw each man thus grasping his weapon all the more firmly and in silence a cry of triumph escaped his lips it is all in vain father he cried our minds are made up a host of angels from heaven would not bar our way now to victory and to vengeance pierre admonished the old man it is too late my father said pierre firmly en avant lads yes en avant en avant assented some we have wasted too much time as it is but unfortunate lads admonished the old man what are you going to do a handful of you where are you going we go straight to the crossroads now father said pierre firmly the firing of your ricks for which i humbly crave your pardon is the preconcerted signal which will bring the lads from all the neighbouring villages from goulaine and la sorinière and doulon and tornbride to our meeting-place never you fear there will be more than four hundred of us and a company of paid soldiers is not like to frighten us eh lads no no en avant they shouted and murmured impatiently there has been too much talking already and we have wasted precious time pierre entreated the miller but no one listened to the old man now a general movement down the hillock had already begun and pierre turning his back on his father had pushed his way to the front of the crowd and was now leading the way down the slope up on the summit the fire was already burning low only from time to time an imprisoned tongue of flame would dart out of the dying embers and leap fitfully up into the night a dull red glow illumined the small farmery and the mill and the slowly moving mass of men along the narrow road whilst clouds of black dense smoke were tossed about by the gale pierre walked with head erect 
he ceased to think of his father and he never looked back to see if the others followed him he knew that they did like the straw ricks a while ago they had become the prey of a consuming fire the fire of their own passion which had caught them and held them and would not leave them now until their ardor was consumed in victory or defeat end of prologue part one